Today is Wednesday. <laughs> Take three. Today is Wednesday, October 10th, 2018. Time for episode 64 of the Barnhart Podcast. It has been almost a month since we recorded our last episode, the live edition. Uh, the last episode that went out, episode 63, was one of the in-the-can episodes, uh, the second edition or volume two, volume 11 of the uh, Ask Ann Churchy Questions. Got a lot of great feedback from that. And of course, one of the questions that was asked uh, aside from that was, what's taking so long between episodes? Um, Tiny Princess, big delay is one way to put it. Oh, by the way, uh, she is now part of the 1%. She passed six months of age this past Sunday. So Hooray! children born with her condition, which is holoprosencephaly, only 1% live to see six months of age. So we're celebrating the months and uh, the half birthdays uh, with vigor because we don't know how many of these we have left. So, um, and and uh, as of right now, we still do not have, uh, not only do we not have regular overnight help, our intermittent help has also gone away. So at the moment, we've got nobody <laughs> lined up. So it, it makes for some very uh, tired days and sleepless nights. And uh, I've even had to take some time off work to catch up from from sleep. And, and uh, a couple of cases, people saying, man, you look tired. And it's like, I, I am tired. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think you said well, there were some comments that came back. What's wrong with Super Nerd? He sounds tired on these podcasts. He is tired on the podcast. Exactly right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've taken some days off of work. That's I think that's a very good thing to do. And, uh, you know, American, not that you're Protestant, but American Protestant work ethic says, no, no, you should never do anything like that. Rah. But no, you absolutely should. I'm glad to hear that you've done that. And tomorrow's Thursday, the feast of the maternity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we wrap up the St. Anne Novena, which was primarily done for you and super mommy and um tiny princess and specifically for getting you guys some help and saint anne is on it and as it says in the novena just because the novena ends tomorrow it's 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 poor saint anne she gets she gets roped into this but it says in the novena keep saint anne keep praying for this keep interceding for us for for this uh for this particular um petition that we have in perpetuity until until um, the 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 prayer the request is granted or a solution is found. So it's going to keep going for you. So and we'll be assured of all of our prayers just in general every day for I, uh, for all of you. I greatly appreciate it, and the the fact that the fact that we have had uh, almost no help. I think over the last twenty days we have had help on four nights, and uh, mm. one of those was a half night. The fact that I've only had to take a half day of work during that time to catch up from sleep uh, or sleeplessness, I should say, I, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a, a pretty big win in and of itself. Now, granted, some of that is that Supermom will get up and take uh, Tiny Princess downstairs so that I can sleep and go to work. And then she has some help during the day helping with homeschooling and uh, takes advantage of that to get a nap from time to time. Um, but that's, that's not to say that she's caught up on sleep. She definitely has this harder than I do. And, and, um, it's, it's only, I, I can only conclude that it is prayers is the reason that she is not having a physical breakdown just, just from lack of sleep and, and, uh, all the exertion and, and the worry and 
you know, it, it's the, the sense of helplessness and, and, and wishing you could do something for your daughter when she's struggling to breathe and having seizures yeah. that she can't control. I mean, that's, that's not easy. And on top of that, not getting sleep for weeks at a time, sometimes it's, yeah. it, 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 it wears on her and, and uh, I've got it easy it, uh, comparatively. So, well, we love you and we appreciate everything you do. And you know, the fact that you, you take the time at all to, help me out and certainly to do this podcast. I mean, it's a, don't think, don't think that the, the gravity of that doesn't, uh, doesn't register it. It absolutely does. So we're glad to be back in the saddle. We'll get this one recorded and then, and then we'll see how it goes. We have several more in the canisodes if we need to deploy them. And, and, but otherwise we'll just, we'll just keep going and play it by ear. I know we have ideas for more in the canisodes, but I didn't think we have any more recorded ready to go. We've got half of one. We don't. Oh, no, I thought we had, I thought we had at least one more. We have part one of the Anne spiritual journey. Well, you know, that could be published and then, you know, part two could be, uh, uh, to be, to be recorded. So we had at least, we've got one that we could deploy. Yes. Oh, okay. That, that's fair enough. Okay. In, in the meantime, um, despite, uh, <laughs> The, the bewitching feeling of not having any sleep. There have been some crazy sorts of witchcraft going on in Rome or faux witchcraft, apparent witchcraft. I don't know. Some. I think it's probably, probably real, probably real witchcraft. Um, sad, sad to say. Yeah. It's, it's been again, quite a, the fact that we haven't been doing podcasts has kind of been offset by the fact that I continue to my sustained level traffic is at the highest levels that, that I've ever seen it. And it just, it's kind it's in an upward, uh, it's graphing upward and it's holding. And, um, so the, the last big thing was the reportage on the fact that Bergoglio has been handed a, a, a warlock's stang is what the, the term for this thing is, a, you know, the staff. I'm sure everybody saw the pictures of that that I had posted and so on and so forth. And, you know, again, I'm one of the only people who's willing to report on these things. You, you basically saw nothing Um on the on the other major Catholic sites at all. I mean, certainly none of the, the what I call the mainstream, like the EWTN owned properties or any of that. No, nobody would even breathe a word about all of this. They all saw it. They all saw it. But no one will talk about any of this stuff. And you know, it it is because of the fact that I am detached and 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 willing to abandon myself to the divine providence and have complete trust that frankly what a lot of people are afraid of is that they don't want to lose donation revenue and then people who are actually on somebody's payroll who have an actual paying position they of course none of those people will touch any of this stuff um but because i'm detached from all that and and i I have the utmost confidence that exactly as much money is going to come in through my donation button at, or otherwise through the snail mail or whatever. Not too much, not too little. It'll be exactly as much as, as the divine providence wants. But I'm reporting this stuff and nothing nothing's going to stop me short of incarcerating me, which, you know, at some point that's probably going to happen. Um, but yeah, the, so in August – they have this youth rally in Rome at the Circus Maximus, and these two very casually dressed women with very short haircuts 
wearing wearing pants, come up on the stage and hand anti-Pope Bergoglio a what is clearly, obviously a a Wiccan um, magical staff, or like I said, I looked this up. The, the word for it is Stang, S-T-A-N-G. It's obvious what the thing is. You start reading about Stangs, and this thing, this staff that he has handed, checks off every category, every category in spades, down to you know a very prominently um, positioned iron nail driven through the thing, which signifies all kinds of horrible things, you know, including um, it's a phallic symbol. It represents coitus. It's a mockery of our Lord's crucifixion. Um, and it, what, what I found the most interesting about all of that was this whole notion of this um, uh, belonging to the cult of, of Cain, as in Cain and Abel. Cain slew Abel. I didn't. I had kind of never really heard any of this before. But when you start reading about Freemasonry and Kabbalah, which is a lot of people don't know this, um, Freemasonry is is a relatively new thing. I think the first lodge opened in London in like 1715 or something like that. We just passed the 300th anniversary of Freemasonry. Exactly. We just passed the 300th anniversary. It's just been within the last few years. What what Freemasonry actually came out of, what one of its primary touchstones is, is Kabbalah. What Kabbalah is, is, a, is a, this mix of Talmudic Judaism and witchcraft. And I'm, I'm not making this up. And, you know, there's all the people out there that because there's a lot of Sedevacantists and other very crazy people who think that because I believe that the Jews should be evangelized and converted and not all thrown into ovens and, and exterminated, um, that because I believe that Jews are human beings who should be evangelized and converted just exactly like everyone else, that that makes me, you know, this great Jew sympathizer, blah, blah, blah. Well, it, it means that I regard them as just like anyone else. Like I would regard, you know, pagan Hindus or whatever. They need to be evangelized and converted Period. Full stop. Well, and if you con- if you contradict that point and say that uh, evangelizing the Jews is a waste of time, then go back to Acts. Right after the the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles, the original Pentecost. What in the world did they do right away? They, they went preached- and evangelized the Jews. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. What what else what else would you possibly think there would be to do with the Jews? And I made the point before, they should be the easiest people in the world to convert because look, Christianity is the fulfillment of Old Testament Judaism. So you show them all the stuff in the Torah and say, "Well, look, this is the fulfillment of this, this is the fulfillment of that, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Well, okay, long story short, um, you get Talmudic Judaism, you mix that with witchcraft, that is called Kabbalah. Kabbalah is kind of the, the soil out of which Freemasonry emerged. So there's there are a lot of uh, commonalities there in philosophy and so on and so forth. And it's dark. It's, it's nasty dark, really, really bad. So I was talking about this, this 
philosophy or this, uh, I don't know what you would call it, this belief in being in the cult of Cain, as in Cain who slew Abel. They have this whole thing that, you know, Cain was the higher principle. He had the higher intellectual intellectual ground. It specifically says we ally ourselves with Cain, with Esau. For Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Remember the Esau, the brother of Jacob? Um, the men of Sodom and all such other men. And because we identify and align ourselves with Cain, Esau, and the men of Sodom, God, we are being um, oppressed by God for this. <laughs> wow, I had never heard any of this before until I looked this. I started reading about this stang that um, Bergoglio was giving. And then you do go down this rabbit hole and you do see what Wiccans are just openly, openly, unabashedly, unashamedly professing. Then I'm looking at the pictures and little chicky poo on the left who hands in the stang is wearing that, um, you see it all the time, that red, knotted red thread bracelet. And I saw that and I went, oh my gosh, that's that Wiccan Kabbalah bracelet. What what needs to happen now, if anybody would touch this, if anybody would report on this, is find out who in the hell those girls were that gave that to him. The other point that a lot of people who actually are discussing this on the Internet are making, and they're absolutely right in this, nothing happens at any of those um, papal in, in inverted commas, in scare quotes, as the Irish would say, um, you know, anti-papal in this case, but you, you get what I'm saying. Any of these papal events, liturgies, anything that happens, that stuff is all completely choreographed in advance. Nothing happens that hasn't been planned out weeks, if not months in advance. Nobody steps foot on the stage. It hasn't been completely vetted, blah, 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 blah. Not unless you want the Swiss guard dogpiling you, no. Exactly, exactly. Um, and and the other thing to remember is that he was given that stang at that event on, I believe, the 11th of August. So you're telling me that between the 11th of August and whenever it was uh, the, the 3rd of October or the 4th of October, whenever that opening mass that for this synod on youth sodomy that that's he used it to open it up and they specifically said the girls who gave it to me asked me to use it in the opening mass of the of the youth synod that right there sends up all kinds of red flags i mean what are you kidding me are you serious and then the fact that they had almost two months to, you know, sit and ponder this this clearly awful, awful thing. It's clearly not a ferula. It's clearly, um, you can look at it and just instantly say, this isn't right. And in fact, it looks evil. It looks objectively evil. They had two months, assuming that this was just a gift from somebody. But remember, it's a gift that was organized, laid out, pre-approved, Months in advance before that, 
come on, that nobody's, you, you cannot make the argument that they didn't know exactly what this thing was and didn't have time to research it. And to me, you know, everybody talks about poor Guido Marini, who is the, the master of ceremonies for the Pope. He's kind of that tall, skinny, he's a tall, skinny Italian guy. He's always there. He's always the, the Pope's MC, the anti-Pope's MC, excuse me. And, um, Oh, poor, poor Marini. He's a really good liturgist, but you know, he's, he must be pulling his hair out. What a, what a, what a saint he is to have the patience of Job to put up with all this. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Why is this man not resigned? Why in the world did, did good Marini, Guido Marini permit that obviously evil piece of accoutrement to be used and passed off as a ferula? I mean, you just look at the thing, just look at it. It's awful. There has to come a point where Marini just says, fine, you're going to have to fire me because I can't participate in this anymore. When is anyone going to take any sort of a stand? I mean, what are they, what are they afraid of? What is Guido Marini afraid of that, that, that Bergoglio is going to, is going to hire the Neapolitan mafia to, to take him out if he refuses to let a satanic, uh, implement be used in a papal mass. Guido Marini, why don't you lose your job? I mean, at this point, keeping your job is, is it's got to be sinful at this point. It's got to be sinful at this point for the guy to keep his job. Why aren't you gunning to get fired? It would certainly be pusillanimous at the worst, or I should say at the best. And in terms of what would happen, what would Bergoglio do? I'm on my second reading of The Dictator Pope, and the idea, or one, one of the things that the author, or one of the points the author makes, is that Bergoglio surrounds himself with, peop- with people who are morally compromised and intellectually mm-hmm. slow, so that they cannot challenge him. And everybody yeah. else who has stood up to or challenged him, especially Cardinal Pell and Cardinal uh, Burke, he's kicked him out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and the references uh, to the hitman. I mean, allegedly he has experience with that in Argentina. Yeah, and, yeah, and absolutely. Talk- and that's that's no joke. I mean, there are people that have been disappeared, and there are people who have been as- politically assassinated in Argentina, and it's understood that Bergoglio was involved in that, heavily involved. So, I mean, in addition to all of the other things that we've exposed and are trying to get, you know, mainstream press to pick up about his involvement and his connections with child sex trafficking, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the guy is dirty, 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 dirty. But but I mean, do they honestly believe that he's going to put a put a contract out on them like someone like Guido Marini? I mean. I can see him putting contracts out on some of these these curial cardinals and and bishops and archbishops who who you know are actually involved with all the massive money laundering that's going on who are involved with the child sex trafficking the drug you know the drug use and the drug running and so forth I I can see that but I mean come on you're going to put a Neapolitan contract out on on your your master of ceremonies Come on, come on. I think Guido Marini needs to take a stand and and quit, but well, probably won't. And if he does get a contract put on, I mean, this is all theoretical. I mean, it's allegedly. We don't know for sure. But uh-huh. that, with regard to the contracts being put on people. But if, uh, if Guido Marini uh, were to quit over issues because of the Catholic faith and then he was killed for it, that's, that's martyrdom. 
Exactly. It probably wouldn't happen. He'd be marginalized. He'd be, he'd be Brett Kavanaugh and uh, he Mm -hmm. may may end up without any money and on the street and and, uh, become an involuntary mendicant. But that's not exactly the worst way to earn heaven either. Either. Exactly. Yep. It's happened before. It'll happen again. Someone has to lead the way. Absolutely correct. And so, so we've got all that. So the, the witchcraft stang thing that's happened and, that's got the traffic up. Then you wake up this morning and you open the news. And uh, apparently we all remember the famous event of the great cocaine-fueled homosexual orgy going on in the palace of the Holy Office, going on in the apartment of Cardinal Coco Palmario. And who was arrested was his his secretary, his personal secretary, a guy that he was gunning to have um, elevated, made a bishop, a guy who was installed in that apartment by Bergoglio himself. It was supposed to go to some other um, person who was who was working, actually working in the in the CDF, in the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And um, Bergoglio overruled it and put this guy, Luigi Capozzi, who is Cardinal Coco Palmario's personal secretary, installed him in this apartment. Well, the news this morning is, is that now people are starting to talk. And in fact, Coco Palmario was there at the orgy. Not just was he there at the orgy, but as the quote is, he was presiding over the orgy and the um, the Vatican gendarmes, the police, they break in. They see Cardinal Coco Palmario presiding over this gay orgy. And what struck me about this as soon as I read it was that word presiding. This is starting presiding. to sound a whole lot like windswept house. Uh, yeah, just ever so slightly. The word presiding implies organization of activity, which one could almost infer to be liturgical in a sense. You see what I'm saying? So it, it, it just savors of that Satanism and all of that. Well, in the um, Novus Ordo, what other word, uh, what other meaning could it have? What, what, what other meaning does yeah. the word preside have in the Novus Ordo? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they are presiders at times. They are called or refer to themselves as presiders. I think Supich is really big on that, is referring to uh, the priest celebrant as being a presider. Um, wow. But yeah. So Coco Palmario was there, was the presider. The Vatican police tell him, get the hell out of here right now. He gets he gets shuffled, he gets shuffled off. And they arrest Capozzi, and then they Capozzi's so high on cocaine that he has to be taken to a hospital and detoxed first because he was that high. This also strongly implies that Coco Palmario was also using um, cocaine as well because, again, why wouldn't he be? Um, the other point about this that I want to make is that oh, I think a lot of people think very, very wrongly that um, – Men's libidos, and specifically in this context, the libidos of sodomite men, that it trails off and that they, you know, they stop 
lusting, they stop engaging in sodomy, you know, when they hit their, maybe their seventies or whatever. Um, this is not the case. And so like, for example, McCarrick, they shuffled McCarrick off to my old stomping grounds at Victoria, Kansas, at the St. Fidelis Friary of the, the Capuchin Friary there at the um, the Cathedral of the Plains there that um, anytime you drive up or down, you know, east or west across I-70, you see this big two, uh, two not domed, what are they called, steeples, um, two-towered cathedral rising up out of out of the western Kansas plains at Victoria. And that is where that cathedral right there is where they sent McCarrick off to. Um, it's just east of Hayes, Kansas. Um, Hayes is where Fort Hayes State University is. And, you know, that's just there's a lot of there's a lot of kids and a lot of young people around there. And they say, well, you know, it say, yeah, there's an elementary school like right next. It's right. And it's true. The elementary school is like right behind the the church and the friary and then the high school is just like right back beyond that but the elementary school is right there and people are saying well you know what come on McCarrick's 88 years old he is he that much of a danger oh you're damn right he is you're damn right he is these sodomites these sodomites do not that maybe their libido slows down a little bit they're still totally totally sexually active and inside the vatican is one of is one of the quote unquote best places to be a dirty old sodomite man like that because they are completely surrounded with young sycophantic um, career social climbing, career climbing, younger men who are willing, who are willing to engage in this sodomy with these filthy, disgusting, physically repulsive, older and in some cases elderly men. They're, they're, they're surrounded with younger men who are willing to do this. Um, and so if you're going to be a filthy, disgusting, old sodomite older than 80 years old the vatican's one of the one of the best places for you to be in terms of having you know hookup opportunities and and younger men throwing themselves at you because the 80 year old men do still wield power they're not retired they still have massive influence that's what it's about i keep saying this i keep saying this it's about power 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 the other example of this, just this past week, within the last few days, um, uh, George Newmeyer has discovered that Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark, New Jersey, who is McCar- who's McCarrick's protege, 100%. McCarrick got him elevated. That they're all in that 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 satanic sodomitical coven together. So Tobin is this fat, multi-chinned doughy repulsive guy i don't know how old he is i think he's probably in his in his late 60s not attractive in any possible way george newmeyer discovers this guy has a super hunky italian movie star shacked up with him in in the rectory in newark and this guy this italian actor who is tobin's number one uh, sodomitical partner right now 
is literally the guy who is who plays John the Baptist in a movie that was produced by the Vatican, by the Vatican. The guy who stars as John the Baptist is has now been installed by Cardinal Tobin as his lover in the rectory in Newark, New Jersey. I mean, you you cannot make this stuff up. And so back to Coco Palmario. Coco Palmario was in the apartment, in fact, was presiding over the satanic sodomitical orgy that was going on in there. And of course, he was protected. He was protected. The cops, you know, shuttle him away and protect him. And then they arrest Capozzi. But, you know, the word what I've heard and again, I, I don't have confirmation on this, but what I've heard is that Capozzi has been reinstalled in that apartment. He's ba- he's back where he was. Um, I wish that somebody in Rome could could um, get a confirm or deny on that. You know, um, there's got to be people in the in that palace, in the Holy Office palace who are willing to talk and say, yeah, he's he's back. We see him coming and going. Yes or no. Um, but I mean, just this, the, the whole motif of Satanism, witchcraft, sodomitical orgies that that savor of um, satanic rites. I mean, going on literally within just a few yards of of the tomb of St. Peter. It's just you, you cannot make this up. And you know, I said at the beginning the joke was, what, what are you waiting for? Do you think that, do you think that they're going to appear that, that Bergoglio is going to appear on the loggia of St. Peter's, you know, wearing devil's horns and, and openly worshiping Satan and raping a boy. And, you know, it's getting to the point where that actually is within the realm of possibility. We're, we're talking about Satanism in terms of Bergoglio. We're talking about, satanic sodomitical orgies it's all happening it's all real and like you said super nerd it's just it's just windswept house playing out before our very eyes i wasn't expecting you to throw it to me at that point but no that's what eddings (laughs) or not i mean or not (laughs) I, i don't really have anything else to add to that i mean it's you know i there were a couple of random points earlier but um I don't know what to say. I mean, we, we know that and I at think some that's point all Catholics, what do you, what do you even say? What do you even say? And I think a lot of people, they just put their heads down and say, this is, this is all so crazy. I'm just going to deny that it's real and not even deal with it. I think that's what a lot of people are doing. Sadly. I th- to a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize things are totally messed up in Rome. And at some point we, we have the, the promise of a lady that uh, her immaculate heart will triumph. Until then, we pray, we we follow our faith, we do what we're supposed to do, and until St. Peter appears to me and says, I want you to go to Rome and fix this, there's not a lot I can do other than what I'm doing. I mean, agis quod agis, and pray. That's it. And so, yes, I'm not surprised by anything you're saying, but in terms of what can you comment about it, I wish it would end. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> But, exactly. But I'm not in a position to change it. Not many of us are. Yeah. Um, a few people are, though. And I think it's getting to the point where more needs to be done. And um, as, I, as I've said from for now almost 10 years, 
these things don't change until people who have everything in the world to lose are willing to lay it all down. And I think um, that's, again, where we are. I think, you know, we've got Vigano, but again, he's like a 77-year-old man. Um, so he wasn't exactly in, in the absolute prime of his career or anything like that. Like someone like Cardinal Burke was and is. Cardinal Burke isn't even, or Cardinal Burke might have just turned 70. Um, Cardinal Burke is not a terribly old man. Um, we need to start seeing people who have everything in the world to lose, laying it down and taking up the cross. And that's going to mean before this is over, it's going to mean people are going to probably be going to prison or something like that. And I don't know what exactly that looks like, but, um, you know, just standing and saying somebody should do something. Well, who is somebody? Who is that somebody? Um, has it ever occurred to, to hardly anyone that maybe we are the somebody? Maybe I'm the somebody who who needs to do this, that, or the other. Um, you know, well, we keep praying for for our Lord to lift up saints and people who will who will you know lead us in battle. Maybe it's you. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe it is you? Um, maybe it's me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but it's all playing out and it's, it's getting, it is getting overtly explicitly satanic at this point. Yeah. Between the, the staying at the, at the recent ceremonies, you know, I, I never would have thought that I would be looking forward to the JP two Crozier coming back into use. Yeah. That's no joke. That horrible, horrible JP two Crozier. I had exactly the same thought. Like, why can't, why can't he just carry that? <laughs> there are rumors yeah. that that is a product of a 16th century satanic ritual as well. I mean, that's completely unsubstantiated. It's, you can, it's worth the paper it was printed on from the internet. So mm -hmm. take that for yep. what it's worth. Yep. But it, it's, it's better than that, that, than that staying, which is an explicitly satanic implement. Um, yeah. What do you do? And I guess, I guess the segues now into one of the topics that I wanted to cover, which is kind of. It's related, but it's tangential. And that is, why is it that people aren't freaked out by this? Why is it that people see this occult stuff? And, you know, just it doesn't freak them out. They just really seem to not care. And my theory on all of this is that. It's I been think in the culture. This, yeah, that the culture that the culture is is steeped in this witchcraft stuff. Yeah, they, they dream of genie. They've been charmed by a teenage witch. And, you know, I'm throwing a whole bunch of titles together here. I'm not even getting into pop music, which I'm sure is, well, you don't have to be sure about it. It is steeped in things. Even even um, purely secular people like the former MTV VJ Adam Curry pointed out that the MTV uh, Music Video Awards look like it's some kind of a pagan ritual. Mm -hmm. Oh, when, yeah. When people who I'm aren't even remotely... Christian or religious can see that there's something else going on. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello. Exactly. And then what I sent you as we were kind of chatting and preparing for the, um, for the podcast, I sent you several YouTube links. And one of the things that I think has also desensitized people is that there's a hell of a lot of witchcraft going on under the guise of alternative medicine so I sent you some links and we'll put these in the show notes and people can just look at this stuff. Crystal gem healing, crap like that. 
you watch some of these videos on YouTube of these people doing this just, it's clearly fraudulent snake oil crap, but just, just watch it and look at what they're doing and just ask yourself how, how, if you put, if you put this woman in a witch's outfit, that that's the only thing that's missing. That's the only thing that's missing for this to look like the explicit practice of witchcraft. They are invoking spirits, which means they're invoking demons. Um, they're, they're talking about all of these, you know, cheese and chakras and energy meridians and performing all of these ridiculous rituals and that's what they are. They're rituals, casting spells, using magic wands. I mean, it's all there. And this stuff is billed as alternative medicine. A lot of it is billed to an, is billed to health insurance. A lot of it is billed to um, Medicare. These people are have have gotten themselves through this alternative medicine movement into this pipeline, this um, healthcare services. Uh, pipeline. And this stuff is just abject nonsense. The one, the one of the links that we'll post of the crystal gem healing lady, this woman is selling one ounce bottles of water, water for 25 bucks a pop. And then, but she says, oh no, this is, this has special magic powers because I've put this water next to these certain uh, gemstones. And so the water now is infused with the power of the gemstone. And if you spray it um, on yourself or above yourself, then you'll get the benefits of, of of the power of the gemstones. This woman's selling water to people for $25 an ounce. I mean, it, but besides the fact that that's just an abject criminal racket, aside from the fact that this these people are passing this stuff off as some sort of medicine or as some sort of legitimate health care, anything, that's criminal. Then you look at this crap and you realize, my goodness, this is this this is witchcraft. This is witchcraft. And the call the calling down of spirits and all of this. But see, we see all this stuff and, you know, you just think, oh, this is one of these, you know, kooky healer people. You know, this is what what's all going on out in Sonoma, Arizona or whatever. Dude, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. It's all around us. And I've sent I sent you multiple links. There's the uh, healing gems. There's, you know, all kinds of weird um, not even massage, like, uh, oh, acupuncture, all that crap, you know, um, all that. Sound essence, balancing, introduction to healing, touch, diamond therapy, which is the one you were just talking about, acupuncture. Oh, the healing touch, the healing touch, that's huge among nurses, like registered nurses doing this, doing these rituals, again, these rituals where they stand and they just wave their hands around, um, you know, in front of somebody around somebody. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm shaping and correcting your aura and all of this crap again. And the, the fact, I'm sorry, but any, any person who has, who has a, a nursing degree or anything like that, any person who participates in anything like that should have their credentials pulled and shouldn't shouldn't be able to practice medicine, nursing, anything like that. 
I mean, if, if that's just insanity. And again, this crap is getting billed to Medicare. We're paying for all this stupid, ignorant witchcraft garbage. So, I mean, it's, it's a combination of two things. I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. I want to see if I can, you know, be more precise in this if I can. Um, obviously, you know, waving your hands around in front of someone doesn't do anything. But what does, what can be in play is when these people start calling, calling down spirits and things like that, which a lot of them do. That now gets us into the realm of the preternatural, and and that could be opening the door. So if you talk to exorcists, one of the things a lot of them will tell you, it isn't just, you know, playing with Ouija boards and stuff like that that opens the door to demonic oppression and, and you know, demonic involvement and in the very rare cases in possession um, with human beings. Another thing that opens the door to all of this are these are these weird witchcraft alternative healing rituals, which I think a lot of, um, you know, quote unquote, Christian people, they, they go and partake of things like this, thinking that it's some sort, that it's related to medicine somehow. And it isn't, it isn't at all. Um, and you know, this kind of a little bit gets and touches on yoga, although yoga is different. And yoga is absolutely demonic and you should not do it and you should have nothing to do with it ever. Um, but eh, that is, that's not medicine, trying to be medicine, trying to pass itself off as medicine. It's trying to pass itself off as exercise, but it's exercise that then, that then turns into, um, you know, calling down demons, assuming the poses of demons, emulating demons, that, that whole kind of thing. And then what I've been told by actual ex, ex yoga practitioners, high level ex yoga practitioners is one of the things that yoga does is it makes you completely narcissistic. It turns you in on yourself. Ha ha ha. That was, I mean, when the, the lady I was talking to said that word, said it just turns you in on yourself, makes you narcissistic. Of course, you know, all the red flags and fireworks are going on off in my head because I, at that point, I'd already done the diabolical narcissism video and all that. It's like, well, of course, that makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense that, that the demonic would try to turn a person back in on themselves and try to just turn them into this navel gazing, getting in touch with the great nothing. And then you become the, the avoidance of all suffering, et cetera, et cetera. And so then you just become completely self-absorbed. And what that eventually leads to is the purgation of love, obviously. So, and then, I mean, if you're actually inviting demons and your, you know, downward dog is called that for a reason because there's, you know, a, a demon that is represented by the image of a dog. And so that's who you're, that's who you're basically, you know, calling down, inviting in when you do that. But again, yoga is kind of another can of worms. Um, but well, I was going to say, where's, of, where is the line between exercise or stretching and yoga? Because um, as somebody who is quite sedentary and works at a computer 40 hours a week, uh, having, I've never done yoga. I've done something with that that is related, more closely related to gymnastics than anything else. Or at least that mm -hmm. it's, it's a very rudimentary um, you know, flabby white guy in his forties type, uh, edition of, so you might want to do some basic gymnastics kind of stuff. It's just more about strength and flexibility and mobility than anything else. 
But one of the things that has, has made me wonder about yoga is where is the line between inducing flexibility in muscles and joints and actually doing something super or preternatural? And the whole idea of, of a particular physical posture being a direct invitation to a demon, that's the part where I scratch my head and saying, how? How does that work? Especially if you never had the intention of doing this, you're wearing your brown scapular, you're saying your rosary, how, where, where's the danger in this? And I'm not trying to defend yoga whatsoever. I'm, tr- I'm trying to understand how does this even work? Sure. I've actually had this kind of explained to me. Um, a lot of the yoga poses are designed to, um, in a sense, restrict or cut off circulation to certain parts of your body. And so that's that's kind of one key, I, th- I think. And, and of course, the other thing is, is when they start talking about all these Hindu, using Hindu terms and Hindu religion ideas and, and all of that, that's where you have to put the brakes on it. Uh, but I think we all know basic calisthenics. I mean, we all know how to stretch our hamstrings. It's a pretty straightforward thing, you know. I mean, you reach down and touch your toes, or you sit down on the ground and you stick your legs out in front of you and you touch your toes, or you open your legs in a straddle and you stretch in the straddle. I mean, normal human calisthenics, I think, are pretty pretty intuitive. Um, and I think, I also think, I never had any any difficulty seeing the difference in the distinction between just doing normal calisthenic stretches, gymnastic stretches. Um, and then of course I did ballet. Um, and the, and then crossing that line into where people start saying namaste and, you know, you're now going to feel your, feel your spirit coming out of your third eye in the center of your forehead and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, twist yourself around so that your your um your left hand is you know wrapped all the way backwards behind your back and then twist your neck so that you're looking up at the ceiling and when i when i heard someone say that one of the points of these yoga poses is to get circulation cut off um i said you know i i i i believe that i remember doing some of that stuff years and years and years ago because we would have to do it in school and stuff um and yeah if you hold those poses some of them for long enough you are in a position where it's it's limiting blood flow and it can limit blood flow to your head um so yeah and i i just use common sense any any utterance of any Hindu term should be a deal breaker. You should have nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with that. And if you know what the base premise of Hinduism is, you will know that it is it is so anti-Christian. The entire base premise of Hinduism is that there is no reality. So you look at the opening of the Gospel of John. And Hinduism is in direct contradiction to that because it's saying that there is nothing. There is no reality. There's no nothing. There's no God, no nothing. And the way that you, to be successful in life is that you have to get in touch with and understand the fact that there is nothing. And therefore, if you do that, then you won't, you won't be able to suffer. Because if you understand that there is no reality, there is no existence, nothing and no one actually exists, then you start, then you realize and understand that there's no possible way for you to suffer. You become completely detached, uh, 
not detached in the healthy Christian sense of detached, detached in the sense of being completely narcissistically detached, um, that you love nothing and no one, you are self-purged of love, and therefore you don't suffer. Because as anybody who's, you know, lived past the age of 12 about should understand, love entails suffering, love entails suffering. So it's, it's Hinduism is trying to get people to completely purge all love from their souls with the fake goal of um, you will not suffer if you do this. And of course, it's all a ploy. It's all a trick by Satan and the demons. And it's entrapped, boy, how many billions of people at this point have, have lived over there in India and in that area where Hinduism exists. And then it's, it's demonic stepchild is Buddhism, which comes out of Hinduism. How many people in the far East have been sucked into that and have, have died in that. And it can't be good for them. It can't be good. Well, and here in the West, one of the things that came to mind when you were describing this situation where there is no reality, it made me, Think of a line in a very popular movie from the 90s, There Is No Spoon, mm-hmm. which, which I'm yep. making a reference to The, the Matrix, which is a, the Matrix, which yep. there was the, slub, the subplot there or the insinuation is that all of reality is a simulation. There is no reality around you, mm-hmm. which that sounds like Hinduism embodied yep. or it's it's just the techni- it's the technological technological version of Hinduism, and you see a lot of the IT people. Um, who is it? Is it Elon Musk, Bezos? I don't know. Um, you see every once in a while. In fact, I remember seeing it on Drudge. Have a, have a headline pop up on Drudge that like Elon Musk says. There, you know, odds are north of 90% that we are in fact living in a simulation. I mean, it's, and it's not surprising that these, these tech billionaires, that they subscribe to this and they believe this. They're so, they're so morally far gone. Um, it, that, yeah, you can see how very easily they would see a movie like The Matrix and, and you know, they want to believe that there is that there is no nothing, that nothing matters, that nihilism. They want to believe in that nihilism. Um, and in a sense, you can almost, again, you can almost kind of see and understand why. Look at these people who have tens of billions of dollars and whose lives are just clearly so empty. I mean, there's only so many hookers. There's only so much drugs. There's only so many yachts. There's only so many, you know, Mediterranean vacations. And you can see that these these people, they're relatively young. They have tens of billions of dollars. And you know that they wake up in the morning and they're just completely empty. And so they're looking to try to create some narrative that explains all of that. And yeah, I think a lot of them are fans of the movie The Matrix. I know a lot of people are fans of the movie The Matrix. And they they want to believe that that crap is true. And before that, people wanted to believe that stuff in, in Star Trek was true and on and on and on. People just keep trying to formulate these these fictional narratives with with the objective of denying Christ. I mean that's what what that's what it's all about. So they just don't ever have to look at Christ on the cross and they never have to think about sin, 
responsibility for sin. Um, and they, they also want to convince themselves of another one of anti-Pope Bergoglio's, you know, pet, pet memes is the whole notion of soul annihilation, that when you die, it's just lights out. And therefore, if that is the case, if that's what you believe that, you know, it's just, you're here one second and then whoosh, you are snuffed out of existence the next. Well then, yeah, you do pick up the phone and you call and you have the prostitutes come and you have the cocaine delivered and et cetera, et cetera. And we can say that about the tech billionaires and we can say it about these these wretched fiends in the Vatican too. Um, but I think what's probably more common in the Vatican is that you have a higher percentage of them who actually hate God, who who believe in the existence of God and maybe even they believe in the existence of God as he is, as a triune Godhead. Um, and like we started off talking about with the um, reference to Cainism and the cult of Cain, um, they feel like they are being, they hate him because they're sodomites and he will never ratify their sodomy. And so they are being victimized by him. And so therefore they are at war with him and they hate him. I think a lot of these men, I mean, you you just think about how could you possibly, I mean, it, it's one thing to engage in sodomy in some bathhouse in San Francisco. I mean, I, it, it, listen, listen to this, listen to me like morally relativizing this and putting the bathhouse scene in San Francisco on a, on a better moral level than having an, a sodom, sodomitical orgy inside the Vatican. I mean, you have to be you have to be filled, it seems to me, with a contempt for God, personal contempt for God in order to do something like that. Um, and again, I guess we're circling back. We're back where we started here at the Barnhart podcast, where all we talk about is palatial sodomy. <laughs> but there we are. There's there's the circle all the way back. Well, in defense of the tech billionaires, the only person who comes to mind when you describe them as being um, chasing every pleasure under the sun or chasing sun and buying it is, is uh, Larry Ellison at, at Oracle. I mean, he's the one that comes to mind as having a parade of wives and, and buying America's cup yachts and things like that. Most uh-huh. of the tech billionaires are just overly driven to achieve and build their own ego, which is another form of turning in on themselves. And it's a, more dastardly way of, of, of it's a more dastardly addiction, honestly, to be addicted to your own ego than addicted to pleasure because mm-hmm. it's, it's a matter of, you know, how many billions can I acquire? I mean, Jeff Bezos, I don't think he's doing, I don't think he's ordering hookers and drugs. I think he's honestly trying to figure out how do I get myself to Mars because I'm better than humans and I'm going to get myself out of here. And I'm going to take all of my Amazon billions and do things that are, you know, contrary to nature to glorify my ego. I don't think he's driven by prostitutes and drugs. Yeah. Um, most, most of the, look, look at Bill Gates, um, son of one of the, it was general counsel to Planned Parenthood. And he's giving uh, many of his billions to zero population growth and, and immunizing slash sterilizing Africa. Yep. Um, he had one child himself and he's, if there's, if there's one person who has a reputation of a boring personal life, it's Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the tech billionaires fall into that category. They're, they're overly driven. All their, their entire life is nothing but work. That's true. The ones at the, at the very, very top. 
I, I do think, however, that the, the culture, the culture of the drones in Palo Alto, um, what I've been told is that that culture is really, really debauched and that there is a tremendous amount of fornication and hard drug use and, and things like that. But then, you know, they all stagger back into Facebook headquarters or Twitter headquarters or whatever it is. And, you know, they, they get their work done and, but that it's a truly debauched culture in and around Palo Alto too. I've, I've heard a lot of stories about the whole bro culture out there. And mm-hmm. I've heard that as a software developer, if you, if you want to be at, at the absolute pinnacle level of, of achievement, that that's one of the places to do it. Honestly, it, I'm not that interested in being, at that level, I, I can achieve plenty here in the Midwest. Um, yeah. But in terms of billionaires acting like rock stars, Wall Street comes to mind more than Silicon mm. Valley. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I hear you. Well, do we have another topic or did we hit all, all of them for this episode? Um, let's see. What else do you have on the old outline there? Well, there was something about um, being told you, no absolution for you. Oh, yeah, my absolution story. So this happened um, within the week, within the week. Um, and I was I was told that I should go ahead and tell this story because if it happened to me, it probably almost certainly is already happening to other people or is going to start happening to other people very quickly. And so, you know, people need to be aware of it. And when it starts happening, you know, don't be freaked out, have a plan B. I was denied absolution in the confessional. And the reason that the priest gave, and I just a little bit of, of um, laying the foundation backstory first, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I jump around and I prefer to confess anonymously. So I jump around and, and, you know, stop into whatever church and, and Nova Sordo. Yes. Yes. Um, and you know, I mean, they're validly ordained priests and the absolution they give in the confessional is valid absolution. So I avail myself when they give it, when they give it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to specifically ask, but, (laughs) but yes, when they give it, it is valid. So I go, I stop into, um, a parish and avail myself of the confessional. And, you know, just within context, anti-Pope Bergoglio came up and um, the priest said to me, it is a grave, you cannot say anything against Pope Francis. It is a grave sin to speak against Pope Francis. And if you are not sorry for this, then I cannot give you absolution. And I said, okay, be assured of my prayers. Have a good day. So it's starting to happen. And that's, that's, I mean, just incredible. But his exact words were, you cannot speak against Pope Francis. That's what he said. So if that happened to me, it's probably already starting to happen to people and or will start happening to other people soon. Oh, and the other punchline to this story is I look around, you know, look at the bulletin board on the church and, you know, after this happens and I'm kind of figuring out, wait a minute, where who is this priest? What, what's going on here? 
Guess who the priest belongs to? Is not diocesan. Guess who he belongs to? Jesuit. Nope. Marino? Try again. What? Is, what? Marino? Nope. Uh, I'm running out of ideas. The Legionaries of Christ. Oh, is that the Marcel Maciel thing? Yep, absolutely. He was it's he was a legionary. Yep. And why that is is particularly important is because the evil, wretched criminal organization that is the Legion of Christ, racketeering organization using Holy Mother Church as its false front facade for, you know, founded by a bisexual incestuous pedophile rapist. Maciel raped his own sons, priest who had, you know, concubines, had sons. He then started sexually abusing and raping his own sons. He was also completely drug addled and also denied Christ on his deathbed. This is who founded the Legionaries of Christ. Um, and they still kind of quasi worship him. It's still a cult. It's still a cult. Um, so what was my point going to be? Legion, uh, Maciel. Oh, the Legion passes itself off as conservative. Oh, if you ask the average, you know, North American Novus Orduist who knows anything about the Legion of Christ, I say, oh, they, they're conservative. They're conservative. They're conservative. The, it's this evil hiding behind the guise of conservative of conservatism wrapping itself in the flag so to speak of conservatism um don't be fooled by this they the legion cares about maintaining the legion's power 30 billion dollar balance sheet and they will follow anti-pope francis into hell happily happily and they are they are massively powerful and influential inside the vatican massively so they along with opus day but really the legion is more in the forefront of this they basically operate and control the vatican museums which is a massive you know cash flow generating corruption enabling um um organization needs to be shut down needs to be shut down um most north of 50% of the male tour guides operating in the Vatican museums are sodomites. Uh, that kind of tells you. Um, yeah. So, and they're all incestuously connected in with the Legion of Christ. Um, I've done a lot of reportage about, um, the, the Legion priest, father Thomas Williams and his, his concubine Liz Lev, who was ambassador Marianne Glendon's daughter, Lev sits on the board and basically controls uh, the English, the the English language um, aspect and and bureaucracy inside the inside the Vatican museums and largely calls the shots of of who can be a tour guide in there, which is a big big deal, a big money making deal. Um, it's absolutely disgusting and just completely surrounded with sodomites, completely surrounded with a with a coven of sodomites. Um, just disgusting. 
And she, of course, was for years openly carrying on an affair with not just Williams, the priest, but, you know, talk about I mean, it's, it's so funny. These women who talk about being feminists and girl power and all that you look at their personal lives and they've they've used sex to get absolutely everything that they have. Um, it's it's so it's such an irony. And, you know, it's just a red flag that should go up. Women start talking about feminism, girl power, this, that and the other. You're, you're probably dealing with a woman who has weaponized sex and is hyper promiscuous. That's just the way it is. That's the way that works. Um, so, yeah, the Legion is huge, huge still in the Vatican, hugely influential. Um, and it's all tied together with all this stuff that's coming out about um, Cardinal Angelo Sedano, who is on the pay completely in the in the payoff of the Legion of Christ. I mean, every time any any time Maciel would go to the Vatican, he would just roll in and he'd be handing out envelopes with five thousand dollars in cash. He'd give an envelope to Sedano. He'd give an envelope to Zewitz. He'd give an envelope to this, that, and the other. They, that's what they do, and they're still doing that. This whole business of just passing around envelopes filled with cash. And you wonder where where is all this money going? You look at like the Papal Foundation, that slush fund that McCarrick founded and that Worrell basically administrated. You know, massive, massive, massive endowment. You think where, where is all this money going? What are they doing with it? It's cash payments. It's these cash payments to all these guys in the Curia. It's paying for prostitutes. It's paying for cocaine. You know, that stuff isn't free. When they throw that, the sodomitical orgy in Coco Palmario's apartment that Coco Palmario is the presider over and the whole thing. And it's it's male prostitutes. It's um, cocaine and other hard party drugs. Where the hell do you think the money's coming from to pay for that? It's all getting laundered through. It originates with things like the Papal Foundation. And then it gets laundered through and eventually just turned into cash. The Vatican Bank, again, yes, it's 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 a completely corrupt organization. It's one of it. It was and probably still is one of the biggest money money laundering um, operations in the world. The the Neapolitan mafia was probably their number one, uh, the number one client, the number one money laundering client of the Vatican Bank for many years. Hence the connection there. Hence the, the fear that someone like Archbishop Vigano, the man who published the whistleblowing document, why he fled and why he's in hiding is because, yes, there are these connections to the Neapolitan mafia through the Vatican Bank. And yes, these people, Bergoglio and, and the Sodomite Coven, they he Vigano is absolutely right to be afraid that they would put a contract out on his life through the Neapolitan mafia. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and then, I mean, who knows what's going to come to light in terms of other, you know, groups, the Legion, other nefarious organizations involved in sex trafficking, involved in drug dealing, involved in money laundering, so on and so forth. It's all it's all interconnected. So, yeah, but it's the Legion passing itself off as the as one of the premier conservative groups in the church today you need to understand that these people are nefarious and it just it's it goes to show that that a priest would would say in the confessional i refuse to give you absolution because 
speaking against Pope Francis is a grave sin. Be prepared for this, folks. And, you know, if you've got a good confessor, stay close to him. But I think maybe my days of of confession hopping might have to come to an end. I'm going to have to be a lot more choosy because I I suspect that there's going to be more of this. It's going to become more and more common. I'm not going to ask the the circumstances, but I have to wonder you know, how the, the question of who the Pope is even comes up in context and confession, but um, <laughs> that, that that's up to you. The other point you raised about who's going to pay for the, the cocaine and, and the the drugs and the parties in the Vatican, I'm like, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be George Soros. He, he doesn't stoop that low, which is probably true and weirdly yeah. telling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll only well, pay, he'll only pay to assassinate the character of somebody like Brett Kavanaugh. Which, by the way, talking up since we talked a lot about witchcraft in in this episode, did you see the um, the, the Arch of Baal that was raised on the on the, the Washington Mall? No. Somebody, and no. I don't I don't no. know if this is a replica or if this was the actual thing, but apparently ISIS blew up. You know. Yeah, a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. The 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 slack jawed weirdos at ISIS blew up some arch in in uh, Syria that was the archway of for the entry to the Temple of Baal. And uh, on on the Washington Mall, while the big debate over whether or not Brett Kavanaugh shall go on to the Supreme Court, somebody decides to erect a a it's either a replica or the actual thing, probably a replica of the archway to the entry of the temple of Baal, which by the way, Baal is the, the, the pagan God to whom you sacrifice children. Yeah. Very fitting to be doing this, you know, that the libtards to be doing this at the point in time where they are scared to death that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be put on the court and could possibly be the vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. I I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Amy Comey Barrett's going to be the one to overturn it when Ruth Gader, yeah. when, when, when when Ruth Bader Ginsburg well <laughs> does whatever. She's probably been dead for quite some time by say, the looks of her. But <laughs> it's it's it. I was going to say when they finally realize she's been weakened at Bernie's for the last uh, twelve months. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Let's see, I just pulled it up and it says, yes, a reconstruction of the ancient Arch of Palmyra. Yes, was set up to celebrate global cultural heritage. Sure it was. The arch has been also displayed at various locations around the world, including New York City, London and Dubai. (laughs) Gee, what do those cities have in common? No, I I don't know. Nothing, nothing. Uh, Yeah, there it is. Not surprising. Not surprising at all. Well, you know, Washington, D.C. is just a ginormous monument to Freemasonry, so we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. Even the layout of the streets are, if you look it up, it's all some damn Freemasonic pentagram or something like that. I've seen some documentaries to that effect. I've also seen some documentaries that the the Grand Architect pun intended or no pun intended, I'm not sure which, Mm. who designed Washington, D.C. The whole point was to make the city intimidating to people coming in, whichever. I mean. Hmm. I've never I've never been there. I've never seen it. So I've I've driven there once and it's a very strange place to drive in, even with GPS assistance when it's the first time you've ever been there. uh So, I mean, my my. My experience there, I was there for the March for Life in 2006. Mm-hmm. So it, it was 
you know, take my, take my input with a grain of salt because it was my first and last time there so far in my life. So. And I have absolutely no plans to ever go there. I, in fact, I suppose if I were ever there, it would probably portend very bad things for me. So there you go. No desire to go there at all. Or very exciting. I mean, <laughs> one, yeah. person, one person's very bad could be another person's very exciting. I don't know. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, that's all about all, all. That's about all I have to say. I think, and we're coming up on a uh, an hour twenty. Are we not? Oh yeah, it is an hour eleven. I was just going to say it's we're just barely over an hour, but I guess it is cl- uh, getting up on our normal time. Yeah. Um, I guess we can go into the wrap up then. All right. The email address for the podcast, if you have photos of things that were done in Washington or elsewhere, well, <laughs> be, sure, be, <laughs> care, no, be careful, careful with the elsewhere. Careful. No, okay. well, I'm going to withdraw that. Yeah, really. Delay that order. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I try to come up with something on the fly from time to time to say here, and um, maybe that wasn't a good idea. How about, yeah. just, how about just comments and feedbacks and uh, topical suggestions? You can send those to podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors every single day of the week. It doesn't matter what day you downloaded and listened to this. There was a mass said today for Anne's benefactors. And once a week, there is a mass said for everybody who died in the previous week. Please, please, please pray for these priests. They need our prayers. Mm. We need them for sanctifying grace. Everybody wins in the end if we just follow the divine economy here. Indeed. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. I, you, know, you, you mentioned that people say I sound like I'm tired. I'm also consciously trying to slow down how fast I speak um, <laughs> because I, I, tend, I, I usually will re-listen to all these podcasts at least once just to make sure I didn't miss an edit or something. And I have, I have noticed that even I, t- I tend to listen to podcasts at one and a half speed or sometimes faster. But even at only one and a half times speed, even though I'm the one who said what I'm listening to, I can't understand what I'm saying half of the time. So I'm trying to slow down. Um, so And yes, I'm tired too. But it's, it's, it's both. <laughs> but the, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And that's what Richard, James, and the double secret engineer who this time sent the donation wrapped in page 12 of the Motorola uh, chip donate uh, chip uh, spec, spec sheet. It, it's, this is quite entertaining. At some point I'm going to have the full manual for one of these little Motorola uh, timing chips. Unfortunately, I think it's a 12 year old model. Um, <laughs> not, I don't know. I like to think of it as maybe being uh, like the, the Carl Sagan novel contact where it's, it's an embedded uh, schematic to build a, to build a space travel machine. Well, I'm definitely keeping all all these uh, pages that that um, he or she is is sending me because maybe there's a secret code to all this. I don't know, but it, I've, I've I'm sufficiently geeking out on on these details that uh, I, I'm just, super I'm nerd. Just, just remember, I'm there just, is just, no spoon. <laughs> I don't know. Some somebody figured out that that I, I find schematics interesting, so so they're sending this, but. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, okay. So the double secret engineer was was one of the people who sent in a donation via the P.O. box. And some folks also sent in donations via PayPal. Uh, Dean, Arthur, KD, Nora Lee, Donald, and PMJ. 
and I want to send a very special thank you uh, to CT. I'm just going to yeah. leave that yeah. as, as the identification. <laughs> we'll leave that right there. You betcha. <laughs> yes. It, it, and this came in um, very soon after you posted the blog post about uh, the, the... Day one of the novena. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. About the intentions to help find some help with, with uh, for, for um, Tiny Princess and... Um, <laughs> Let's just let's just say he wanted to make make uh, a point to uh, he or she. Um, I, I'm not going to say which. Uh, want, want to make a point of of, of helping out in, in in their way. So thank you very much. And I had I received I, actually I was in correspondence with them and they said that uh, the actual credit goes to their twelve twelve year old child who saw the who saw the novena go up and saw the tiny princess post and is is very very enamored of tiny princess and very solicitous for tiny princess's well-being and the 12 year old child enjoined their parent to to do something yes well thank you <laughs> thank you very much more than i can say and and when i showed super mom that that uh notification she literally got tears in her eyes smiling and, and it's like you know th- this definitely helps us to do with i mean there, there is already some mechanisms in place to to do, to have some reimbursement from people to help out, but it, it's not rich. I mean, it, it's it's Medicaid level reimbursement. So to be able to pad that and and help out with other things or, or bring more people in to help out during the day, so mom can get a nap while dad's yeah. at work, uh, this definitely definitely helps. So thank you so much and. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was going to say something else too. Um, oh, it's tangential to this. I, I'm I meant to say this at the top, but uh, Super Mom says hi. Says tell tell Anne hi, and I'm sure she says tell everyone Yay. else hi too. So, um, yes, thank you, to, Super Mommy. Thank thank you to CT, and uh, don't forget the Matthew seventeen twenty initiative, which I could read from my notes, but I would do it in a slow, tired sounding monotone, and Anne does it with so much more energy. I'll let her do it. <laughs> Because I, I say it multiple times a day, every day. The Matthew 1720 intention is full fasting twice a week for the intention of A, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as antipope and the whole thing be nullified. That Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope all this time. That Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and achieve the beatific vision someday. And that Ratzinger repent, die in a state of grace, and achieve the beatific vision someday as well. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, endure of knots, pray for us. See, that's so much better than pray Pray that we fix the problems in Rome. Yeah. Because that's t- I'm like, dude, I just I oversimplify things, so... <laughs> I yeah, I mean, you have to be specific. You know, the economy of grace. One of the points it's made is that you have to ask for something. You have to ask for something specifically. Um, and so, one of the reasons that things have not been happening and bad things have been happening is because people have stopped praying. People stop praying the Leonine prayers. And I think it's so amusing. And people, a lot of people have emailed and asked me about this, that, you know, um, within the past week or so, anti-Pope Bergoglio was going off on his screeds. And, you know, everyone who's who's blowing the whistle about sexual abuse or little Satans and everything, pray the St. Michael prayer against all of these horrible people who are who are little Satans who are blowing the whistle on sexual abuse. And I just think it's a testament to the divine providence and how you so often see these instances where God's enemies 
end up calling down wrath upon themselves or end up testifying to to you know god's greatness god's divinity um the sanhedrin the sanhedrin testified to our lord's divinity the jews in the in the throngs before pilate cried out let his blood be upon us and upon our children that's exactly what happens at the consecration of the chalice at every single mass so you see god is really good at this business of taking taking things that human beings say in a in a in a bad context and turning it so that it's something really good. So I think that's what's going on that, you know, anti-Pope Bergoglio is so, I mean, you can tell that he's, that he's, he's like thrashing and you can tell that he's worried that he's now so discombobulated that he's now calling, he's now calling for us to pray for St. Michael to, to come down and essentially act against him. He's calling down his own destruction on his own head by enjoining St. Michael. And I think we should all absolutely do this. I mean, the truth of the matter is he should hopefully be praying the same, the, the Leonine prayers after mass every day. That's three Hail Marys, um, Salve Regina, Oh God, our refuge and our strength, the St. Michael prayer, and then three, um, most sacred heart of Jesus have mercy on us. That's what the Leonine prayer package is that Leo the 13th said, we're going to start doing this now after low mass, after he had his, um, vision slash, um, hearing of, you know, this negotiation between Satan and our Lord and Satan saying, give me, give me a century and I can destroy the church. Um, that's why that all started. Um, and that was the composition of the St. Michael prayer. Um, so P, but of course, Paul VI suppressed all of that. All of that was suppressed in 60, whatever, four or something like that. People stopped praying the Leonine prayers. And the bit, the joke, the joke that you'll hear a lot of trads make about the Leonine prayers is that if you have a missile, it says at the top, you know, these prayers were implemented and they are supposed to be prayed for the intentions of the Pope and the conversion of Russia. And, you know, a lot of trads have been making the joke now for the last five plus years that the Leonine prayers are prayed for the intentions of Russia and the conversion of the Pope. So ha ha ha. That's that's a trad joke there for you. But ideally, everyone should be saying the Leonine prayers after mass every day anyway. So there you go. And I say it, I say it privately after high mass. I mean, I say it after every mass, high, low, pontifical, whatever, you know, just I always say the Leonine prayers after mass. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done a podcast and I was going to, I meant to put that in the notes and I'm glad this came up now. But yeah, there was a bit of a cognitive dissonance. It's like, wait a minute, who's calling for the exorcist angel and the terror of demons to be invoked every single day? Francis is calling yep. for this? Really? Yeah, yeah. This is a little I, head scratcher, but um, okay. You know, that's that's a, how the divine idea. Let's works. Do it. <laughs> yep, and I think we should, I think we should absolutely take him up on that and just, I think we should just say the St. Michael prayer all day, every day. And in fact, it's a good way to start the day too. It's a very good way to start the day. Yes, that and coffee and uh, push-ups <laughs> and no no yoga. Uh, for, no yoga. <laughs> forget your mindfulness apps. Just concentrate on Jesus and and do some mental prayer, and um, maybe listen to a podcast later on in the day too. But yeah, until next time, I am Super Dirt, 
And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless.